Welcome to Deeply Disturbing Things, the podcast. I'm Macy. And I'm Naomi. And we're two anxious counselors who like to talk about deeply disturbing things. Join us. How are you? Um, I'm good. I'm uh, happy to be here. Hopefully I won't have a post-COVID coughing fit like I had earlier today when I was giving oh, a training. Oh no. Is that bad? Well, you know, when you like start coughing. Yeah. And, like, I haven't had that in a time actually. Yeah. Yeah, it was inconveniently right when I was in the middle of doing a suicide prevention training. Oh, no, of course, the drainage. So uh, hopefully the post-nasal drip will behave itself or be able to be washed down with the wine. Yeah, no, that's that sucks. So I'm not in person with you today. Um, I mean, I'm glad because my hair is a wreck, so I'm pretty glad to not be on video today uh, in general same i was like i hope we aren't filming this tonight because i got my shower schedule mixed up i thought because <laughs> i don't wash my hair every day yeah and when i yeah, woke up i'm like oh it's not my hair washing day but as i went through my day it became more and more apparent that yes today was uh, actually my hair were, washing day you that you were so wrong it's <laughs> <laughs> so wrong so wrong it became greasier and greasier and now, yeah no that's what i got right now my bangs are like have had enough well yeah. we're, we're the same we are both greasy haired people right gross now. gross people yeah. yeah um so i'm not there in person because although you may be feeling better kind of um I was just around somebody who tested positive and who had a over a hundred degree fever today. So, um, that's great. <laughs> Why did they breathe their breath all over you? Uh, because they weren't sick <laughs> prior to that. Um, when they were around me either, they just happened to take a COVID test. Uh, when they went home because they had been sick the week prior with tummy stuff and they thought it was something different. Um, mm. So I, and I do think there were two different things. Um, and then, and they just happened to also get COVID and then breathes on me in my face. <laughs> Don't let people breathe on you in your face, Macy. I know it was so close to my face. <laughs> we, were t- we were testing the, the like radar gun style thermometers um so she was like right up in my face to do that (laughs) dang it right up in your business right up in my face space so yeah well we have a lot of plans this weekend so you better not have the COVID I know so yeah basically quarantining until tomorrow I mean still till tomorrow if I'm not sick then I'm going to receive Naomi's mobile COVID test. Yeah, we're going to sit in the car. (laughs) Do mobile COVID testing. And do a rapid screen. um, So that way I can be cleared for the weekend events. Um, If I'm sick or if I test positive, then. Because we have such a full schedule. I know. I know. We have dance skating. We have special. The start of our tour of Haunted Spokane is supposed to be beginning this weekend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we'll see um, if I, I'm, I feel fine today. I feel great today. So we'll see. We will see. We will see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm drinking this weird drink that I found in the back of my fridge. I don't even know how it got there. It's called, a, okay. It's Natty, N-A-T-T-Y, Natty Daddy. Oh, 
Yeah. Watermelon lemonade. And it has a dollar sticker on it. I didn't purchase this. This has just been in. It sounds like a back of the fridge kind of beverage. Yeah. Of a, hmm, this or a Corona. (laughs) (laughs) This is, I I wasn't planning. I'm having 14 hands. I know. I was planning on being at your house drinking. You would have gotten one of these. I know. I don't, I haven't even tried this. I really don't want to. I'm going to try it right now. Do it. It might not be Oh, no, that's gross. Oh, that's bad. Just go take a shot of tequila instead. I don't have any alcohol at the house, like at all. I have nothing here. Mm. Right? It's a problem. It is a problem. (sighs) Gotta always at least have some nice tequila in case guests come over and y'all want to do shots. I never have guests over, ever. (laughs) I still haven't. I've lived here for four years now and I still haven't had my housewarming party, so... I am planning a kitchen coming of age party when my kitchen remodel is done. (laughs) I thought you were going to say a kitchen coming out party and I was going (laughs) to be all for that. So are are you going to make food? Um, I don't know. I don't know if I want to get my new kitchen dirty. That's like literally (laughs) the point. You can't have people over for a kitchen party and then not make them food. We'll, We'll see. Maybe I'll just pick something up from to go from somewhere. Well, if you if you feed me first, I will complain less. No, I will feed you. <laughs> you will be fed one right. way or the other. Okay. It just may not Fine. be from my personal blood, sweat, and tears. That's my favorite, though. <laughs> so I am remodeling my kitchen, and it's super exciting. I mean, I haven't started yet, but um, I've lived in this house for 25 years, and it's the first remodel since 25 years ago. And Dang. it very much needs it. I redid the grout on my countertops last night. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, that was actually rather frustrating process, but yes, <laughs> I did a thing. Uh, yeah, great. <laughs> I don't remember what I was going to say. I was going to say something. Um, oh, it's because this is a check-in. You have topics. You go first, I think, this time. Okay. Are we getting into it? Are we doing it right now? Yeah. Ready? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Okay. So I wanted to look into something topical um, and also something I just didn't really know that much about that I wanted to know about. And that's what I love about this podcast is it just gives us that reason to like research something, you know, that you're, you want to know more about, but Mm -hmm. it's like, "Hmm, do we always have the time? Um, so I love how we have like a legitimate reason to expand our to knowledge and our consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. So I am going, cause, uh, Monday was Martin Luther King day. Yes. So I'm going to talk about the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King. Ooh, good topic. Because I didn't know like all the details about it and it's, you know, definitely, um, an important time in our country's history. So he was a peaceful preacher and civil rights leader. And he was fatally shot at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee on April 4th, 1968 at 6.01 p.m. Central Standard Time. Yeah, I'm kind of realizing too, I don't think I've ever heard the details because like when you originally find out about it, I mean, it does focus much more on the um, on the civil rights movement, that aspect of it. I don't think I know much about 
like the logistics of what happened. No, I didn't know a lot either. Um, let me share what I learned with you, Macy. Yay. And we'll both be smarter. I have a historical figure as my topic today, too. Samesies. Samesies. But, but very different. But samesies. Samesies, even so. <laughs> even so. <laughs> so Dr. King was rushed to St. Joseph Hospital, but died at 7.05 p.m. So this Lorraine Motel was a Black-owned motel in mm-hmm. Memphis, and it was known as a safe space where black people could stay. Um, and a lot of famous people stayed there like Aretha Franklin. So it was um, the spot to stay at. So here's like the, the events that led up to this. February 1st, 1968. So he, he was killed on April 4th. So a couple of months earlier. Two Memphis sanitation workers, Echel Cole and Robert Walker, were killed by a faulty garbage truck compressor. So after this happened, the sanitation workers went on strike. They were demanding better pay and better working conditions, and they wanted union recognition as well. So 1,000 sanitation workers went on strike in the area, and... At this time and in this place, most sanitation workers were black and the black sanitation workers were paid much less than white sanitation workers. So the mayor of Memphis named Henry Loeb, he refused to consider the workers' demands. So the Memphis chapter of the NAACP announced that the civil rights group would begin protesting And so there was a strike that happened and it went on for 12 days and tensions just kept getting ramped up and ramped up and finally reached a boiling point. And so after this 12 days, the police used tear gas on the crowds that were striking and beat people with nightsticks. And these were at this time peacefully striking garbage men. Mm. So I could not find any reason that the police would need to use these tactics. So totally excessive force. Yeah, I didn't read anything that they were being attacked Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they had to defend themselves or anything. So at this point, the sanitation workers began to gain national attention. And so Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. arrived in Memphis seven days, 17 days before he was assassinated. He urged the local Black community to boycott in support of the striking sanitation workers. And he pledged the support of the Southern Leadership Conference, which was his group that he was a part of. And so the mayor of Memphis, Henry Loeb, said if the men didn't return to work immediately, others would be employed to take care of the garbage. Mm, So, you know, that's not cool when people are striking. What do they call them? Scabs that like cross the strike line to. Oh, is that what it's called? I think so. Yeah. And they're they're not cool. (laughs) Yeah. Hashtag not cool, bro. Not cool. Doing some stuff here. Important stuff. Get out. (laughs) Yeah. 
so garbage was piling up, but I think yeah. like that has to happen to kind of make the point that we are essential workers and we I think need that's what needs to happen with postal service equal pay we yeah. need yeah let's let those amazon packages pile up yeah pile up get your own packages macy <laughs> i know i'm like how many packages have i ordered last week no. i feel shame every time i have a delivery it's shameful it's so shameful well and uh, did you hear that the coat sorry complete side note that the covid testing that the government's pushing out is going to like where everyone can get a, a u.s postal service yeah it's gonna be on the u.s postal service to do that and you know another everybody's thing, gonna be ordering that because it's another free thing yeah that doesn't oh impact gosh. their pay or compensation for hours another thing i am so sorry usps no. that you're dragged into this you're being abused okay go on okay so now we're at March 28th, 1968, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, agrees to lead the sanitation workers march. So several thousand participated in what was the largest civil rights demonstration that had ever happened in Memphis. Wow. They marched towards City Hall, many carrying signs that, that said, I am a man. So you can looking mm -hmm. on the internet and see pictures of people carrying these signs i am a man so trying to humanize yeah yeah this issue the march was progressing peacefully but then chaos broke out downtown and this kind of reminded me of when we had our black lives matters yeah um, yeah protests like it was peaceful and then all of a sudden windows started getting smashed and chaos started ensuing so the reports about who started this chaos um, started breaking store windows. So mixed reports that I saw. So there are some pretty famous historians named Mark Lane and Dick Gregory that believe the violence was actually started by agent provocateurs who are brought on the scene to intentionally turn mm -hmm. a peaceful protest violent. Um, some reporters on scene said black youth began breaking store windows so i i mean i wasn't there i don't know i just want to mm -hmm. you know present some different sides yeah. to what could have happened there so however it started it, it got ugly um there was a lot of vandalism happening store windows being broken looting and so the police moved in and just over the top aggressive on the crowds launching tear gas into the crowds and this is like a family event this peaceful march so yeah, everybody's yeah. caught in lots this. of people yeah and they're you know dragging people beating them with nightsticks so you can see photos of like people with bloodied faces yeah. um and then the youth fought back rightfully so mm -hmm. you know against these attacks so the police blocked off the street um, and they wouldn't permit the march to progress. And then started moving in with riot guns and then launching the tear gas canisters to stop the march. So some of the leaders, they refuged in a nearby church. So mm -hmm. they went in there and they were appealing to the youth to stop and desist from the disorder and violence. And they spoke out that the youth had acted independently, had not consulted with them, and were not controlled by them. 
So right when all this started, Dr. King had been surrounded by ministers and moved out of the area to an undisclosed location. So watching the old footage of these marches that Dr. King was involved in, it's just like, you get like goosebumps. It's so Mm -hmm. just powerful just to see these people. They would march arm in arm. They would like link Mm -hmm. arms and it Mm -hmm. just... It just looked like such a show of strength and solidarity and purpose. And I was really moved. I I've, was able to find a lot of original footage and watch it. On YouTube or? Yeah, on YouTube. Yeah. There's different channels. So did I say this? Dr. King had been surrounded by ministers and moved yes. to safety. Okay, yes. so he's moved <laughs> to an undisclosed location. The mayor of Memphis invoked a curfew at 7 p.m. that night. So that also reminded me of when we had our Black Lives Matters um, Mm -hmm. protests here. There was that curfew that went into effect. And then also with COVID, they put a curfew early on. Do you remember those weird early dark days of confusion? And that's when I quit my job. Like nobody knew what was happening. Yeah, yeah. And so the mayor also called in the National Guard. So we called in 4,000 armed troops. Dang, (laughs) that's a lot. 200 riot-trained police officers. Jeez, okay. And then he had another 8,000 National Guardsmen on standby alert at armories near Memphis. So just ready to move in. Wow, okay. Seems, again, excessive. Excessive. So this is, this is Memphis. This is a a very, like, there's a lot of racism happening at this time. Um, So having that context in mind is important. So protests and the unrest continued, even with this very heavy military and police presence. So I wanted to show you this picture that I I found, like, kind of crazy crazy so this is a picture at the time so they have freaking tanks going down the the town streets yeah and then you you see the i am sanitation workers yeah Yeah, continuing to protest peacefully just walking along i was about to say i mean none of none of this seems to warrant a tank from what i see it looks like no it's almost like it's not photoshopped like it's like even less than you would see it's like i don't know like it's not just a a tank look down the street it's rows of tanks (laughs) rows of tanks going down it looks like a very small town kind of yeah like the amount of people it's less than you would see on the streets for a parade even so like yeah odd just a little much wow wow so at a press conference dr king explained that his organization had nothing to do with the riot mm-hmm. um he said this is a quote riots are here riots are a part of the ugly atmosphere of our society now i would rather put my time and place my energy into getting rid of these conditions because as long as they're here they're going to produce angry people well said so, well said yes sir. well such an I eloquent know. man yes yeah. yeah i got goosebumps just while you said that just that right yeah just that. i know <laughs> but it's like just getting right to the nitty-gritty of like, it yeah of like not he's not just denying 
he's not just denying it or protecting image like he's addressing the problem in a very skillful way because really anything he says could be blown up <laughs> yes and i will be getting on to that shortly okay um he also said i'm convinced that nonviolence is the way and that violence is not the answer so he was a, a peaceful man so he left to atlanta um, where i believe he lived at the time and he planned to come back to memphis and hold a nonviolent demonstration. So some say Dr. King never should have gone back to Memphis mm. because it was so like the unrest was got really what, toxic. Was so big at that time. I mm -hmm. mean, look at look at those pictures. You have tanks rolling through the streets. Yeah. Um but you obviously saw the need there. Yeah, some say he went back knowing he would never leave hmm. so let's go to april 3rd 1968 so dr king returned to memphis and he spoke at mason temple this is his final speech and i'm going to read it and just no, my reading it does no justice. No, it's to... like whenever I read poetry, like the <laughs> cadence is always off. <laughs> yeah, like there's going to be a lot missing. Um, You're not inspirational. We get this it. is Go just going to be the content. <laughs> but I watched this speech. You know, I was typing out what he was yeah. said, and like, oh my gosh, just I I was like getting so many goosebumps. So this is what he said in his final speech. We've got to give ourselves to this struggle until the end. Nothing would be more tragic than to stop at this point in Memphis. I want to thank God once more for allowing me to be here with you. I left Atlanta this morning and then I got into Memphis. And some began to say the threats or talk about the threats that were out or what would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountaintop and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may, I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, we will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I have goosebumps wow. again. Just knowing that this is the day before he was assassinated. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels to me like he really was intentionally he, yeah. stepping into this place of danger yeah he knew it and, and like it was worth it mm -hmm. because yeah like He's saying that basically if he didn't the there's there is no option to not at that point yeah yeah because what would that mean if he, he didn't show mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. i mean he's such a powerful individual so influential um, so I think he knew he had to show up. Mm -hmm. So 22 hours later, after that speech, 
We're at April 4th, 1968. So Dr. King arrived at the Lorraine Motel. And he was up on a balcony getting ready to go to dinner, going to dinner at Reverend Jesse Jackson's home. Mm. And he was shot while he was standing outside on that balcony. So the motel is one of those ones where the balconies are external, like all the doors gotcha, are yeah, external. Yeah. The shot came from a brick building directly across from Lorraine. So the area was immediately sealed off. And the shooter ran and dropped his weapon on the street in front of a record store and then ran south on Main Street. So while police were searching for him, um, you can watch like all the different like police reports coming Mm -hmm. out announcing. So at first he was described as a a young white male, well-dressed. So this was at 6.08 PM. Mm -hmm. And a few minutes later, the information came in that the subject might be driving a late model white Mustang. So at 7 p.m., Reverend Jesse Jackson spoke to reporters. He said they heard a loud shot. And he said he had shouted, Dr. King. And then that was it, that the bullet had exploded in Dr. King's face and he had fallen backwards mm-hmm. um, onto the railing. And his, if you look at the photos, like he was standing, I think, pretty close to the front balcony. And so when he fell back, yeah. like, his shoes were still uh, caught underneath that front oh, railing. Yeah, that fallen okay. backwards. Yeah, so yeah. he was he was he was knocked off his like mm-hmm. completely it was, backwards. Yeah, was just yeah. blown back. Yeah. So he'd been struck in the right side of his chin, and the bullet severed his spinal cord. Oh. And he never said anything more. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was rushed to St. Joseph's Hospital in critical condition. He arrived at about 6.15. 20 to 30 doctors worked to try to save his life using techniques such as external heart massage, so trying to mm-hmm. get his heart mm-hmm. going. Um, his respiration muscles had been paralyzed. Everything else had been paralyzed, and he just lost a ton of blood because it was, it was a massive wound, how yeah. people described yeah. it. And That's so heartbreaking. He, was, he was pronounced dead at 7.05. So the world obviously was in shock and mm-hmm. despair. Um, and Dr. King had been a buffer between the black community and the white community. Mm-hmm. So at 8 p.m. Um, that night, Senator Robert Kennedy was on a campaign stop in Indianapolis. He's running for president. And he asked, you know, when he was about to go on stage, he's like, do they know? So he announced the tragic news to the crowd who just like started wailing in grief. I mean, this is pre-internet, like you don't instantly know everything. Mm -hmm. So he said that night, what we need in the United States is not division. What we need in the United States is not hatred. What we need in the United States is not violence and lawlessness, Mm -hmm. but is love and wisdom and compassion toward one another and a feeling of justice toward those who still suffer in our country. Mm -hmm. 
so i mean i i get heartbroken and upset just thinking that you know so this happened so john f kennedy was killed assassinated malcolm Mm -hmm. x was assassinated Mm -hmm. martin luther king jr assassinated and Mm -hmm. then just a few months later senator robert kennedy who Mm -hmm. had the hopes yeah of the nation a couple months later assassinated so i just i mean it's just so heartbreaking like it makes me very like upset and i feel like america changed Mm -hmm. after that happened Um, So Dr. Ben Hooks of the NAACP spoke that night. He said, I knew Dr. King personally and intimately. I loved him as I would have loved a brother. And so I call on all of our friends here in Memphis to stay in your homes tonight. And rather than break windows or shoot or hate, go on your knees and pray to God that we might live for the things for which Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. died. So anticipating that there would be anger and not wanting people to you know mm-hmm. react to that yeah that anger and despair with violence well and especially on the tail of the other riots that just recently happened too and knowing knowing that both sides i mean because i mean obviously the, the tank side of things were ready to go too at that point so it's just kind of you know everyone's waiting for an excuse to do something I agree 100%. So at 8 p.m. in Memphis, the hunt was still continuing for the man responsible for the shooting. And despite appeals for peace, rage did break out on the streets of Memphis. There's looting, violence, occasional gunfire. In Washington, Washington, D.C., President Johnson dispatched 13,000 federal troops to stop rioters from reaching the White House. I never knew that. I didn't know that either. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Why didn't we get that when the Capitol was stormed? <laughs> I think we had some concrete barricades. Um, <laughs> unrest, violence. People can go around this, we found out. So this unrest, the violence, the looting, and arson, so there was fires, this Mm -hmm. occurred in cities all over the country, so people were raging, and people were killed during this time. So with the Vietnam War looming in the background, so to set the context, Mm -hmm. the assassination of JFK five years before, and now this murder of a respected and loved peaceful civil rights leader and preacher just around the country there was like i said these widespread feelings of doom and this is even before rfk Mm -hmm. got assassinated so flags across the nation flew at half mass people were just feeling hopeless and helpless Mm -hmm. and this is something else i learned i didn't know a machine gun post was set up on capitol hill in washington dc wow yeah crazy so the next day after dr king was killed the suspect still hadn't been apprehended and there was lots of questions starting to brew about how the suspect could have gotten away with so Mm -hmm. many police and military in the immediate area and they identified the car they already knew the car right at that point too yeah the white mustang so questions Mm -hmm. are starting to be raised here 
um i mean you saw that the presence <laughs> like yeah there's yeah. so many military like they could have easily sealed the whole city off and nobody would have gotten in and out yeah. without a question so meanwhile in memphis it's day 57 of the sanitation workers strike and so spiritual leaders white and black met with the mayor and we're just begging him to make the right decisions here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. thousands came to memphis to see dr king as he lay in his casket and senator robert kennedy sent a plane for his body to be returned to his home city of atlanta yes he did live in atlanta so dr king had been there to do a nonviolent march remember mm-hmm so this march went on as planned and dr king's widow and children attended mm. it's estimated that between 30 and 40,000 people Dang. walked together in silence i mean can you imagine that mood yeah yeah dignitaries came from all over mm-hmm. to walk in this march On April 11th, 1968, President Johnson signed the Civil Rights Bill, which prohibited discrimination in housing and protected civil rights workers. Meanwhile, Dr. King's funeral procession moved through the streets of Atlanta. 12 days after the assassination, the Memphis City Council finally recognized the Sanitation Workers Union and guaranteed better wages. probably what he saw all along is that if he had to sacrifice himself it was necessary which is awful yes so eventually dr king's killer james earl ray was arrested in london england after being found with fraudulent documents hopped on a jet plane so many in the black community of Memphis and beyond questioned whether just one man could be involved. How was he able to get out of the city? As How I was say, he I mean, able to get out of the country? Quite a lot of planning involved in that whole thing. Yep. It wasn't just a, I'm angry. I'm fighting. Like we're fighting. I'm yelling at you. It was plan- <clears throat> like, how did they even know where he would be at that exact time to scope out the hotel? I mean, yeah. Yes. So many felt that there needed to be um, others involved. Yeah. You know, there was so many police around. How is he able to, to get out of the city, out of the country? Mm-hmm. Somebody so gave qu- him protection. These questions continued. In the 1990s, the family was granted a mock trial that apparently was shown on HBO. I didn't watch this, but I think it's probably out there. You could still watch it. Weird. And the family was... of the of the of the sh- the shooter. Um, no, Dr. King's family. Oh, Dr. King's family. Okay. Um, so there was a mock trial that was filmed on HBO, and then there was also a civil trial, and mm-hmm. they did end up acquitting in these two things, James Earl Ray. And concluded in those two events that he had been set up to take the blame. Okay. So this hmm. is not a criminal trial. This is a mock trial on TV and also a civil trial. So yeah. 
Um, but in response, the Department of Justice reopened the case. And in the year 2000, they released a 150 page report rejecting the allegations of a conspiracy to kill Dr. King. However, okay. <laughs> can we trust the Department of Justice? Like, big question, right? I was about to say, yeah, did they just open <laughs> it up because it got a, a bunch of attention on HBO mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they felt like they had to show Defend themselves? Yes. Yeah. Like, oh, fine. We'll we'll look at it. <laughs> uh huh. So it Do has know been how they confirmed. did that. Do we know, like, did they talk about their process at all? Or was it just they looked into it? I haven't read the report. Um, I think I would like to, you know, look it over at some point if it's out there. But it has been confirmed by the government that the FBI and the CIA had been heavily monitoring Dr. King. Mm. So I mentioned Mark Lane and Dick Gregory earlier. So they're both civil rights activists. And they co-wrote a book called Codename Zorro. So Zorro was the CIA's code name for Dr. King. Mm-hmm. So Mark Lane was integral in dismantling the lone shooter theory mm-hmm. in the killing of President John F. Kennedy. He was also an attorney um, and represented James Earl Ray for a time in his criminal court proceedings mm-hmm. and as, insisted all along that James O'Reilly was an innocent pawn in a government plot. Interesting. Yeah. And I watched some interviews where people don't just typically say that. <laughs> FBI agents at the time were saying that the FBI hated Dr. King and sought to discredit him. Well, I mean, they, that's kind of like the, I mean, you know, the, this isn't the right thing, but like the, it's like a gentleman's club of guys who do things their way and are allowed to do things their way. And now here's this guy coming up and shaking up all their systems and protocols and what they And want. maybe they're afraid of losing power. Yeah, afraid of change. Yeah. So the FBI actually had a group called the Destroy Dr. King Squad. Yeah, that's so what it, I would think their name would be. Yeah. Um, and they were just all about monitoring Dr. King and trying to find ways to discredit him. So questions have come up. Who financed James Earl Ray's Gear of Freedom? Who bought that? That was like a mm-hmm. new Mustang. Mm-hmm. Who bought the car? Yeah, where did, like, what's his background? Um, He's like, you know, had some criminal history, um, nothing But he's notable. not like wealthy on his own. No, 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 no. Who finances travel abroad? A new Mustang able to go live in London? Like, Yeah, he's gallivanting around for a freaking year. Somebody's stuff in his pockets. So one year after the assassination of Dr. King, people gathered in Memphis to march for hope and an end to racism in Dr. King's name. Mm -hmm. Ted Kennedy spoke and reiterated Dr. King's words, which I've seen um, spoken in different ways, um, different versions. So this is one version of a powerful message that Dr. King um, had. If we can help somebody as we pass along, if we can cheer somebody in this life, if we can show that he's traveling wrong, then our lives shall not be in vain. 
So, you know, Martin Luther King Day, I don't, I don't think people really. It's glazed over for sure. Yeah, I don't think people really do something. (laughs) Like they should do something. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. You should reflect on like what was Dr. King's life dedicated to? Yeah. How can you personally be an advocate action Mm -hmm. for change yeah and i don't think people do that people are like oh furniture sale Mm -hmm. i would just pay off yeah for my students actually i posted a quote and then said like let's use today to reflect on and then like talked about like how how do you positively impact you know positive social change in the world but it's like you don't see people do that you see pictures and memes in quotes that get shared but again it's just like okay but that isn't the point of martin luther king like his whole thing is action and so sitting and passively posting something doesn't do anything yeah what are you doing yeah you're sharing it with people who already know so that quote you just read where he's talking about someone who's like flying off course or whatever that was um who who has on the wrong path they're not we can take action and you then that that makes start. our life worth living yeah, yeah. You, you have to create some sort of peaceful conflict so i i think you know on martin luther king day people should like go back like look at some of the original speeches mm-hmm. read some of the original writings and then see how that personally speaks to you yeah and then translate that into an actual action love it yes well that's my thing so i am also (laughs) that's my topic i'm gonna talk about (laughs) a notable person in history who also um is well known for helping people oh my gosh we're so twinsies tonight (laughs) except for many people say that she doesn't deserve it uh-oh. I'm going to talk about Mother Teresa. Oh, I don't really know a lot about Mother Teresa. Yeah. So I have like heard for years. Wow. We're both talking about these iconic people tonight. I know. I know. And both who are like known for their um, like community outreach type things. Yeah. So I have heard many people say, oh, you have the one side of like Mother Teresa. She's a saint. Um, she's kind of the face of helping people. And then I've heard other people say that, well, she's actually really bad. And I never heard any details other than just kind of the general glazing of actually, that's not true. So I've never heard about the bad thing. Never? I've only, no, me, I've only there other than like, I've heard, I've heard s- people put shade on it and I didn't know why I've never even heard people shade mother Teresa so I'm super curious right now yeah and what I found out was actually like really shocking and upsetting when you think about how many people idolize her so 2016 uh the nun mother Teresa was declared a saint by Pope Francis she was still alive in 2016 yeah she was old what is she still alive now no oh well, it's only five years ago. Wait, basically. is she? Look it up. Okay, I don't know. I'll look it up. I, I feel like I would have seen. I, I feel she, like she looked ancient. I think she passed ago. away. I think she passed away. But double check for me. I'm all because that's check. not my focus. 
So wait, she died in 1997. Oh, okay. So that's right. That's right. Sorry, I confused you. I confused you. Posthum- 2016. Post- posthumously yes, made a big, saint. Yes. And I'll talk about why that was. Um, okay. What, sh- what they looked at. I was like, wow, she's still out <laughs> and about? I didn't way, know. Because the pictures I saw from a long time ago, she's, there's no That's way. what I was thinking. I'm like, wow. <laughs> all right. All right. We're putting ourselves in check. It's okay. So... <laughs> This podcast can be messy at times. It's okay. That's life. It's fine. We're learning things too. We are. So she was officially made a saint in 2016. Um, It's been actually a pretty polarizing thing that she was made a saint. So do you even know what being made a saint is? Do you know what that looks like? No. So apparently you have to, you have to perform at least two miracles nobody has offered to make me a saint I know that yeah I've never had a miracle done to me either so I haven't seen either <laughs> sides of that um so Pope John Paul II recognized the first miracle in 2003 just six years after she died there we go 1997 uh-huh uh-huh uh Pope Francis recognized the second in, in um later on so the pope claimed that mother Teresa performed miracles when she cured one woman and then one man of their respective tumors oh however these miracles have been disputed by some especially uh the the woman's case uh the first miracle because she was being treated on drugs with not drugs treated with medication and drugs for Mm. her tumor and even her own husband came out to say that he felt she was cured by the medicine, not by a miracle. Okay. I've heard this like declaration of a miracle. Like there's a lot of criteria. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and it, they do like full evaluations of like, so it's not just a, yep, it's a miracle. They go through and scrutinize everything. So I'm, I shouldn't be flippantly declaring things a miracle i don't think so i don't think so yeah so the vatican did move forward with making her um a saint and um the decision is still controversial controversial because not just of the miracles but other things within her life so um first of all she's seen as like this really selfless person that's kind of what she's known for, for helping others. And her, her big, a lot of the controversy comes um, because she was claiming to help people who were poor and sick, but a lot of what she was doing was building churches under the, for the love of God, especially oh. in places in India where critical services like hospitals were lacking. Um, religious groups that erect churches um, some would say that that they don't do that out of the kindness of their hearts but to increase the numbers in their faith oh i see so it's more like a missionary thing yeah yeah colonialism dare i say which is really the church's key to survival um and so some say that that was her primary goal and uh, just within itself, some would say that that's a self-interested act, not a act to help or better others. Um, so it's a it's good good work, but it's not selfless. 
Um, Mother Teresa's work had an ulterior motive to spread the word of Christianity um, and to get more conversions. So there was a documentary by the New York Times um, called Hell's Angel, which is actually a film all about. Did they call Mother Mother Teresa Hell's Angel? All about (gasps) Mother Teresa's flaws. It gets gets worse. So like some of these things you hear and you go, okay, okay. It gets worse. So they said that she was less interested in helping the poor than in using them as an, as an, as a source of wretchedness on which to fuel the expansion of her fundamentalist Roman Catholic beliefs. Ouch. Yeah. Stinger, right? Okay. So let's talk about these medical centers and missions that she put together. Let's do that. Her centers were meant to heal people. Her patients were often subjected, however, to conditions that made them sicker. In that same documentary, um, an Indian journalist compared Mother Teresa's flagship location of missionaries of charity to photographs that he had seen in the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp in Nazi Germany. He said that wash or workers wash needles under tap water and reuse them. And this is during like AIDS epidemic times as well. Um, medicine and other vital items were stored for months on end, um, expi- using expired uh, items. Gonzalez continued that volunteers with little or no training carried out very dangerous work on patients with highly contagious cases of tuberculosis and other life-threatening illnesses. The individuals who operated the charity refused to accept and implement medical equipment and machinery that would have safely automated processes and saved lives. So they were intentionally, and I think this is the part that people miss, is that they were intentionally not spending money to better the equipment and training of the people there. And they had money to spend? Yes, and I'll talk about that Uh in a minute. So it wasn't just the volunteers who criticized Mother Teresa's treatment of patients in her hospice care centers. Mother Teresa practiced her belief that patients only needed to feel wanted and die at peace with God and not receive proper medical care or medical experts. So in 1994, the British medical journal called The Lancet reported that medicine was scarce in her centers and that patients received nothing close to the treatment that they needed to relieve their pain. Meanwhile, some doctors took to calling her missions homes for the dying. Since her Calcutta home for the sick had a mortality rate of more than 40%. Her view was that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. She responded to this criticism and said, quote, there is something beautiful in seeing the poor accept their lot to suffer it like the Christ's passion. The world gains much from their suffering. What the fuck? What are your? <laughs> yeah, I read that and I was like, "What the fuck, that Mother Teresa?" Super <laughs> passive aggressive. Is like, that what... not what I mean? When you think of Mother Teresa, would you imagine that coming out of her no. mouth? No. <laughs> and then I'm like, "Well, how is she living right then at that moment? Like, I'm sure she has a nice apartment, or does she? I don't know. Is she, she like down with the? Is she, <laughs> she down with the there. peeps, or does she got you know sanitation so- and running water?" So here's a good comparison then. So when Mother Teresa started having um, her own heart problems, 
she received care in a modern American hospital. Oh. Yeah, there's the hypocrisy. Okay, so she also had some questionable company in her life. While neglecting the needs of the sick, as some would say, uh, she rubbed elbows with several wealthy, corrupt world leaders. Oh, Epstein, just like <laughs> a little Prince past Andrew. your time, I think. Uh, <laughs> this included a Haitian dictator, Jean Claude Duvalier, who was mm-hmm. eventually charged with crimes against humanity for his abuse of his fellow Haitians. So it doesn't seem to make sense for what she claims to be with who she spends her time with. Yeah, if she's a humanitarian, mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. shouldn't be spending her time with those that abuse humanity. So at one point uh, in, a sh- in the 60 minutes uh, footage of Mother Teresa, um, Mother Teresa was praising Duvalier's wife, Michelle. And in the footage, Mother Teresa said that she had never seen the poor people being so familiar with their head of state as they were with her. It was a beautiful lesson for me. So she was close enough to them. Um, Sorry, I got the okay. COVID I'm recovering from. You got, you got the you got the Omicron. I got the Omis. <laughs> Naomi's got the Omis. <laughs> so there was another one. So she had a friend named Charles Keating. Um, so Charles Keating was one of the main figures behind the 1980s savings and loan crisis. He, uh, so basically through the housing market and loan speculations um, in the 80s, it cost American taxpayers $124 billion. Mm. So he's one of those key people. And she received $1.25 million from him. Wait, why? A donation. <laughs> well, is she putting that into the people? These are good questions. So she, he got in trouble for all of that, um, went to stand trial. Uh, Mother Teresa wrote to the judge seeking clemency for him. And then she said, I don't know. This is what her letter said. I do not know anything about Mr. Charles Keaton's work or his business or the matters you're dealing with. I only know that he was always kind and generous to God's poor and always ready to help whenever there was need. It is for this reason that I do not want to forget him now while his family is suffering. Prosecutor of, Ke- of Keating actually responded to Mother Teresa after his conviction and pointed out that one of people, uh, one of the people that Keating stole from was a poor carpenter. He never got a response back. <laughs> Rude. So that's not the only issue with finances. So now we're kind of moving along to finances. Let's talk about the mystery of where all of her money went. Okay, let's do. Okay. So countless well-meaning Catholics gave their money to Mother Teresa's charitable organizations over I many mean, years. I would have. Over many, many years. So like huge amounts of donations. Um, many of them would never see them actually go to good work. So Keating's $1.25 million donation alone would seem enough to lift all of those that she was caring for out of poverty. Like there's no reason why her her centers should be so depleted Mm -hmm. um one volunteer said that even when bread um was available to purchase none was bought unless it was donated so they were only accepting donations of foods even if they could have paid for it where's all this money going all these donations (sighs) once 
after running up an $800 tab at a grocery store to feed people at her charity, Mother Teresa refused to get out of line until someone else paid. Oh. And made, like, guilted people within the store to pay for that, pay for it. But where's all the money going? I, yep, you just keep asking that. Because uh, I'm so curious. <laughs> a 1991 report in the German magazine Stern also estimated that only 7% of the millions of dollars she received were actually used for charity. Where did the rest go? Keep asking. 93% by my calculations. Right? So 7% of what total figure exactly? We don't know. Uh, Probably millions and millions and millions. The donations were countless. And there was only one person with the actual numbers. Ooh. Mother Teresa and God. <gasps> so it's, it's, we don't know what happened with the money at all to this day. We don't I think know. There should have been at least one other person. But I, you want to have that tri- triangle of checks and balances. But that's where it gets to the point of like, she, what did she do with it? Who did she give it to? Who? God, who? Mother Teresa, and an accountant. And an accountant. <laughs> uh, so, we just don't know where the money actually went during the time when she was alive or even what happened to it after her death. No idea. All those donations are just gone. What? Mm-hmm. That is bizarro. Yeah. And it's crazy to me that there that this isn't like well known that Mother Teresa just straight up robbed people. <laughs> well, where did the money go after her death, though? If Nobody knows. Nobody knows what she did with it. That makes no sense. Right? Huh. How did Mother Teresa live? I mean, did she live modestly? I think she lived, I would say, modest. She's not like she was like living it up in Cancun or anything. Modestly, but with privileges compared to the people that she was helping for sure. Okay. I mean, I can see, you know, like she did to just to preserve her own self-care, like have at least cleanly residents with some food yeah i mean i would assume part of that pays for her and try i mean but again none of that even amounts up to any right. like well i'm fraction. curious where that money went like did she well, have like a, a secret junkie brother that she had to support like well, <laughs> well i'm wondering like maybe she had deals with these people these bad people um invest in their or, companies or, something. or money was being funneled somehow for some reason um so interesting i mean the money's somewhere yeah, yeah. they say if you want to know everything anything about anything it's follow the money mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um she also had um which is kind of no surprise uh being part of the catholic church but um her views on reproductive rights uh, very anti-abortion, but there was one point that I think kind of took it a, a step even further where she, there was in reference to Bosnian women who had been raped um, by Serbs and who were seeking abortion. Uh, Mother Teresa said, I feel the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion because it is a direct war, a direct killing, direct murder by the mother itself. So, mm-hmm. I mean, she had pretty hard stances on that. Um, so 
a lot of the messaging around Mother Teresa remains that she is a saint. Um, she's backed by the church with that, which gives a lot of, sways a lot of public opinion about her, I think. Yeah, I mean, that is the branding. That is the messaging. Like you think Mother Teresa, you think, wow, this person that was just so good and just dedicated her life to helping people. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's all these centers and, and that really was how she presented what she was, um, these poor people, but her, and I, it sounds to me like it did, it was weighted in her religious views on uh, some, some level of, you know, that people don't need medicine. And so that either means that she's a hypocrite with herself, or she didn't fully believe that. And she was intentionally cutting corners um, to save money because the money was there. It wasn't a matter of money. So if your whole purpose is holding pens for the dying, are you really doing good? Or are you like painting something up to be better than it is for your own reputation? So the amount of money and donations she received, she could have created like a state-of-the-art medical center. That's what you're saying. Yeah, she could have. Yeah, absolutely. So I think she gained somehow by keeping poor people poor and sick. It made her, it, it made her a saint where if you make medicine, the hero, what does that make her other than just a helper? helpers are good but like helpers are good helpers are good so if you create two miracles then you become a saint is that the criteria that's been vetted by the vatican yeah okay oh i better get to work (laughs) better get to work i was just uh i was looking up where you're at when you asked like where was she living um i saw something hold on where'd that go uh so she was living in Skopje. I don't even know where that is. And then moved to Ireland and then to India where she lived most of her life. Um, in, 19, in 1950, she founded the Missionaries of Charity, uh, the Roman Catholic congregation at 4,500 nuns and was active in 133 countries as of 2012. So, I mean, she built a empire for sure. Why do you think she's held on the pedestal despite these other facts that contradict that i think i think having them in poor areas and bringing people to the church conversion converting people to the church was seen highly by the church So I think that was publicized. Um, I think there's a lot of money behind the church as well for who they want to promote and kind of push forward in the public eye. Cause I think that they could have easily have squashed it if they didn't, if it didn't, Mm -hmm. if her beliefs didn't follow what they wanted. Mm -hmm. So I think the church probably had a big role to play in that. What are your thoughts? No, I, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I think people don't really look past headlines or like memes or, you know, to really dive in to what's really going on and then 
maybe what's really going on is filtered for you by who puts mm-hmm. out your information. So. Yeah. And I think too, like you said, you know, that era wasn't an era of quick spreading news. So it would be planned media events or um, she would, you know, what is being chosen to be shared. Yeah. And, and you could get away with that a lot more back then. Probably. Yeah. And like meeting with diplomats, all these things, um, you know, you get to write your narrative, so to speak, of what all that means and what it looks like and oh how, God, how you're that's, helping. That's true. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write my own narrative right now. Write your own narrative. <laughs> yeah. So I found it interesting that our topics were, you know, have a lot to do with how to help people or how not to help people. Yes. Or how not to help people. <laughs> I mean, and, and like some people. So if somebody profited though, or people yeah, profited like millions of dollars. And we don't know who somebody did well i'm fairly certain it was the catholic church but um because she could have easily have you know oh do you think she gave all that money to the catholic church i mean it's not like they announced do you think that money is paying for their legal defense fees (laughs) well i think that that i i I don't want to say more bad things will probably happen (laughs) because uh you know tied in with your topic um big systems have big watchdogs and they go after anything that puts them in danger. And, you know, sometimes you have people working for you and other people working against you. So it's difficult to know. Yeah. I mean, the whole principle of the church is a, is community and helping each other. However, it's also a system built on money tied into money. Yes. Money and power. So how do you how do you continue to foster that? Except- I'm always in trouble at my synagogue for being <laughs> overdoing you- my dues. Always. Yeah. <laughs> do they actually get you in trouble? What does that look like? Well, like I get a letter <laughs> and they're like, pay your damn dues. They I mean, send you a letter? It doesn't How say that, but it's like, <laughs> you know, it like says it all professionally. And then I'm like, oh, damn it. I forgot. And then I pay. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these institutions take money. Yeah. to exist and you know if they're providing good services i'm happy to contribute well and i think that speaks to you know do we fully know where money goes and i think that's been shown through various charity type things in the past of like oh the money didn't get used the way you thought it would or that sort of thing and um i think her power put her in a position where she didn't she wasn't questioned uh, because she was so saintly you know that I mean, saint means she's chosen by God. So who are you to question anything? You're off limits at that yeah, point. You're off limits. You're, you're more powerful than a political leader. So Ooh. yeah, I mean, so nobody questioned it at the time. You're like at a, all. Are you like a demigod? Is that what a saint <laughs> is? Um, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it's like a Hercules level thing. Like, like part God. Less than a God, more than a man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just watched Hercules, the cartoon, not that long ago. Oh, okay. (laughs) As frame of reference. (laughs) Okay. This is so interesting. I have so much food for thought. Thank you. I know. I'm I'm curious to like know more. I'm like, are there groups that like look into this, or is it just don't touch it? I don't know. I don't know. I always want to know more, so I'm always 
up for like let's look behind the veil mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i don't care who gets brought down well and i with her community centers again i i do completely believe that she felt she was helping people because she believed that um people who are poor and suffering should be okay with dying Eek. yeah i mean did she not say that she said that <laughs> in, in in like more horrific terms than that but yeah, like accept yeah. your lot accept your lot because dying i mean her idea would be like god is taking you back like that's it's not a negative right thing. it's a totally different uh, yeah. point of view yeah um, um but it, i think it's deeply rooted in the systemic and political beliefs yes of the church 100 percent. and like to give her the benefit of the doubt maybe she had powerful church leaders in her ear and kind of guiding um yeah yeah maybe who knows i mean yeah i mean she the part that like really confuses me is i think she i mean maybe she believed in the good of people too much i mean her being friends with these people who should not like who are committing atrocious crimes it it does confuse me a bit because again as a humanitarian you would assume she'd take the stance against that unless she agreed with them or was able to rationalize those deaths as well, which is kind of a scary thing to be able to rationalize why people should die. So um, when I, you asked me to Google Mother Teresa, some images came up of her and Princess Diana and apparently Ah, they were close. Hmm? I don't know. I don't know no, what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that means. The thing is, is I saw pictures with her with a ton of people. I mean, she became such a figurehead that like it was a, you know, an honor to be able to talk to Mother Teresa. Right, right. I would love to be able to, like, I'm not saying I want to be a Mother Teresa. I'm not saying that. But I would love to be able to be in a position one day that we have like some life experience like it's mm-hmm. seen as wisdom and that people like want to hear what I have to say about like what I've learned in life I think that'd yeah. be cool I mean okay I'm gonna say it right now I would love to be able to, at some point before I die to do a TED talk is <laughs> <laughs> that is the life goal that would be the pinnacle yeah. you could totally to be able do that. to have something like to offer as far as like but, a personal but, story but, where it's and, valuable and i would say that you provide value all the time you help people you train and develop other helpers you share your story on this podcast but i would like to uh maybe organize that into a personal offering that i'm just saying you don't need the be picked stage up by a and talk. the power that comes with the TED talk to be important. That's true. I, yeah, <laughs> but also it'd be really cool. Who <laughs> <laughs> would? I'd, I'd watch you. Until I'll, next I'll time. I'll do like the sub TED talk thing, not even like the main one. You, you know, do, they were, like, you do the TED sub Spokane. One. Yeah. 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 Like the TEDx Spokane <laughs> TEDx. or whatever. I'll take yeah. it. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> next thing you know, she'll be on the street corner with a megaphone. <laughs> until next time take action and 
create a miracle every day.